Maybe? Is this on? Oh, hey guys. Um, so, Dave bought a house. Um, he's getting married in like, what is it, Dave? How long? 49 days. Okay, so. <laughs> Dave. No, it's not. Uh, so, Dave moved out. Kelly moved into the Rev House, and Kelly is away at camp, and Steve works a lot now, so I'm at the Rev House a lot by myself, so I figured I should come up to the stage and say this, Dave, come home, I miss you, all right, but seriously, guys, we got some announcements tonight, Um, so we got small groups, um, going on this summer, like always. I'm always going to stand up here and tell you guys we have small groups. We have Dave's small group at his new place um, on Wednesday nights at 6. Ryan has a small group at his house on Wednesday nights at 6. 6.30. All right, I should change that. Um, Chris Jones is the guy in the back in the frog van hat. I still haven't figured out what it's supposed to say. Um, So, uh, he has a small group at the Rev House on Friday nights at around 8 o'clock. Normally, we have the cookout, so we start directly after the cookout or trash pickup or something like that. But on weeks we don't have those things, it's going to start at 8. So trash pickups are going to be on the second Friday of every month, and we need volunteers for that. Uh, That is also going to be at the Revolution House at 706 Campbell Avenue. Um, The cookouts are the third Friday of the month. Uh, Same place. Um, Autumn, I don't know where she is. Nursery, okay. She wanted me to remind you guys that we do need volunteers in the nursery. So if you don't volunteer now and want to get, you know, involved in their nursery, get a hold of Autumn, get a hold of me, uh, Dave, um, anybody you see on stage. And also we're having communion next week here. Um, So after the service, we're going to take communion together and then we're probably, you know, we're going to share a meal together after the service. So um, those are really all the announcements I have for you guys this week. So... If you guys want to get up, shake hands with somebody you don't know, uh, Chris Jones is going to put some music on for you. What's up, Revolution? I'll take it. Right on. So life sucks sometimes, right? Amen. Thank you. I got one. The rest of you that wouldn't amen, you're just not being real. And I think God will forgive you for being a fake Christian. That's a little too dark. Some of you guys, like, I'm sure you think like, Dave, like ease up a little bit. You start out too dark. Maybe. Maybe that's some of you. I don't know. Um, but whatever. Uh, but like, you know, sometimes life, like I said, life sucks. Um, like you just made like that burger and fries at home and it's like off the chain and you're like, man, I just need some ketchup. And you reach into the fridge and like you have a ketchup bottle, but then you find out the bottle's a liar, right? Like it's coated on the outside with ketchup, but there's no substance to it on the inside. Anyone? Yeah. Anyone else ever been there? Like, am I the only one? Whatever. Kelly, I'm not saying it again. Um, <laughs> right. But you, like I said, you realize the bottle is a liar. Um, but seriously though, that was kind of a, a lame way to start the sermon, talking about ketchup and burgers, but they were just real good. Um, but seriously, though, I had life, like, punch me square in the face on Tuesday. I went into the bank, as all good stories start, and I spent $1,000 in 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Like, you got, no, like, some of you don't care because you don't understand. I'm 23 years old. This is, like, a running commentary of, like, what it looks like for someone to grow up and, like, you, like, adults in the room get to watch me, like, just squirm and hate my life, Um, right? But, like, I paid a house payment, and I paid a credit card off for stupid crap that I bought for the house, right? Like, that that seriously hurt me. 
Some of you don't know how cheap and tight that I am, like $1,000. That, like, hurt me. Like, whatever innocence that I had left is gone now. Like, and I didn't have much to begin with. Like, and, like, we are gone now with it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but honestly, usually, like, I was thinking about this, too. Like, usually we say life sucks, um, and it's because we're not focusing on, like, the big picture enough because uh, we're dumb. Um, and what I mean by that is like, oh, I don't have any ketchup, this sucks, but like I had this awesome burger to eat. Or man, I just spent $1,000, but like I have a house <laughs> to live in. Like we missed the big picture. Um, we have what I call like first world problems or like white people problems, like Louis C.K. calls them. We're, like we don't have problems, so like we make up crap to complain about. <laughs> right, like being stuck in traffic for 30 minutes is like an actual story you can tell someone. And they'll like stop doing dishes and be like, are you serious, 30 minutes? That is awful. Like, people are, like, dying in, like, car bombings in other countries. Um, <laughs> but sometimes life actually breaks you down, right? Like, we all know this. Sometimes life actually gets you. Like, something drastic happens, and you seriously don't know what to do. Um, like, you lose your job, or, like, a relationship ends, or you can't find a job, and you're really searching for one, or that there, there's addiction in your family, um, or someone gets sick, or, or you get sick, or... The worst that we can usually fathom is someone dies. Um, And in those moments, more often than not, maybe not for everyone, but more often than not, we have a desire to become really angry with God. Um, Like, that's like our bent, like our instinctual thing is to get mad at God and, like, shake our fist at the sky and be like, you know, where are you? Um, Like, are you in this? Why have you abandoned me to go through this by myself? Is this the plan for my life? Is this really it? Is this the kind of God that you are? And we get mad. Um... And in those times that this kind of stuff happens to us, um, I'll ask this, you know, like, where is our joy? Uh, where is our hope? Where is our peace? Um, how can we continue on in spite of this? Um, how are we going to persevere and cope through this kind of stuff? What's going to be our response to suffering? That's the real question. That's the big question of this evening. What's going to be our response to suffering? And this is a real question. Um, and if you've never had, because I know we got some younger people, myself here included, and I've only had a few big, like, life-altering events go down so far, like, that were negative. Um, if you're young and you've never had anything like this happen to you, um, just wait, <laughs> right? Like, it's going to happen. Um, I hate that it will, but Scripture doesn't say if bad things happen. Scripture says when troubles come. Like, it's going to happen. Like, there's no way getting around it. Um, but I, it's like, I, I don't know... Um, what everyone deals with. I don't know what you're going through right now. Um, So I'm going to keep this whole sermon pretty open-ended for whatever you're dealing with. Um, But I do know that everybody deals with something. So this is for everybody. Um, So pay attention. That's the big thing. Um, So as we're going to look through this next passage in Philippians, that's the book that we're going through this summer. Um, We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 19, and a few other spots. Um, You can turn there in the Bibles if you have night vision. Um, (laughs) If you don't and you want to take one home with you, though, those are, those are free for you to take home. Take it with you. Uh, but as we look through this next passage in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we're going to implicitly see how Paul stays faithful to Jesus. Um, and we're going to see how he views his currently awful situation. Like, don't ever forget, Paul's writing this from prison in Rome. And what I'm hoping for this evening is that we're going to be encouraged by Paul's example and encouraged by his worldview. Uh, more than anything, and, and in coming to understand how Paul views the world, um, that we would come to a deeper trust in the all-sovereign God that we have come to know through our faith in Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So let's, let's hit this up. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 19. Verse 12. 
And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. All right, so that's what Paul had to say here. Um, before we hop into this, though, just a little, like, FYI, if you guys care to see, like, into my mind, um, which is scary. Uh, but, like, when I first wrote out this, like, sermon series, like, uh, like here are the passages that I'm going to preach through every week, like, the 16-week plan we have for Philippians. Um, I had planned to teach about church unity this week, um, and I had, I had planned on camping on verse 18 really hard. Um, but I, I felt, and I don't say this often, um, you know, like, uh, shout out to my Pentecostal people in the crowd, like, right on. Like, I don't say this enough. Like, I felt really pushed by the Holy Spirit to do something different um, and, and put much of our focus on verses 12 through 14. Um, so I'm hoping that some, there's someone in here who needs this, um, what we're going to talk about this evening. I, I did when I was studying for this. Um, so anyway, the, the first thing that I want to really make plain to all you guys up in here is that we serve a sovereign God. And when I say sovereign, what I mean is that he is in control of everything. He runs the show. He is omni-omni, if you want to shorten it, right? He is omni, uh, omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He knows everything. His will and his plan always goes off without question, without hitch. There is nothing in all of creation that he doesn't look out and say, that is mine and I control it. There is nothing in all of creation that he doesn't do that with. He is the king of all. That's the God that we control, or that, not we control, I'm an idiot. That's the God that we serve. He is in all control. This light's going to like shoot electricity down on me in a minute. I'm out of here. Um, that was awful. Don't put that on the podcast, Chris. Um, but that's the God that we serve, and that's what I mean by sovereign. So keep that in mind, because I'm probably going to use that word a lot. All right, and I don't want you guys to think that this is a, a concept that, that I've read from different books or uh, come up with my own, like, stupid mind. This is stuff that's in Scripture, all right? So I'm just going to run through, like, a gamut of things just to back it up so you know that I'm telling you the truth about the sovereignty of God. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. He does what he wants. He does not ask for permission. He is the one in control. Proverbs chapter 16 has a couple of things for us. 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So we can plan what we want, but God is the one that's in control. Verse 33, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. So if you ever want to go to Vegas, you can remember that. Ephesians 1.11 says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Psalm 139.16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. All these things combined together to say this. There is literally not one single thing that ever happens that's apart from God's plan or his will. Nothing happens that he is not in control of that is not going to be 
part of what he has planned for everything. He's the absolute ruler of all things. I can't say that enough. All people, all events, nothing is a surprise without question. This is the God we serve. So whenever we combine what scripture says about God's sovereignty over all situations, we combine it with a couple of other things that Paul says in the, in the letter to the Romans. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And then again, Romans eleven thirty six. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So whenever we combine all of these thoughts, all of these passages of scripture together, we see that in his power, God works everything to his glory and to our good in accordance with his will, not necessarily ours. So I want you guys to know that's the God that we have. Um, and and we, we push this concept of revolution really hard. Um, and we do it for a good reason, too. Like, we want you to understand that we worship a huge God. He is unfathomably powerful and supremely in control. He is not codependent on you. You hear that a lot from televangelists, kind of bull crap. Um, he doesn't ask for permission, either. Like, right, like, like Matt's in the back. Matt used to say this whenever he preached here all the time. Um, Jesus is not a 90-pound wuss that needs your help. Right? Like, he's not South Park Jesus. You know the one I'm talking about? Some of you don't watch South Park, and that's okay. Um, that's probably for the best. Um, right? And he's not like this rosy-cheeked, cherub, Bon Jovi Jesus either. He is the sovereign God. We need his help. Right? That's the Jesus that actually exists. Right? And, and know this, too. God doesn't just know the future. He doesn't just know. He makes the future so in all things without exception. Right? People will often tell me, I was kind of laughing about this to myself, people will tell me, you know, God knows the future. But that thought alone does not bring any comfort to us in a dark world full of pain at all. That God just knows the future. However, the, the thought that God knows the future because he has made the future so, and he has made it for his glory and my benefit, that's comforting. I can hold on to that whenever life sucks. Right? And Paul knows that. He preaches that, right? The Ephesians and Romans that I quoted, that's Paul. He knows the Old Testament front to back. He preaches this. He knows this. He trusts this sovereign God. And yet, even though he trusts this and he's doing everything right, he's, he's planning churches, he's preaching the gospel, he's ministering to people, Paul still finds himself in an incredibly difficult situation. Uh, Paul's in prison. Like I said, Paul's in prison and he might be executed. Um, he was actually in prison for about two years and the whole time, it's, am I going to live or am I, I going to die? I don't know. Um, but Paul still trusts these facts about who God is and how he operates. And not only does he trust these facts, but he lives like it. Right? And what do I mean that he lives like it? I mean this. Even though physical death uh, and pain loom over Paul, he still remains faithful to Jesus. Um, you know, he keeps evangelizing. Um, even through his suffering, he's evangelizing to the guards, right? Um, I was talking to Dustin about this last night. He says, I'm in chains for Christ in other letters. Um, I think the Greek word is helesius, if I'm saying it right. And that's like a, a short chain from one, one wrist of the prisoner to the guard. Um, it wouldn't be very long. He is 24 hours a day, seven days a week for two years, chained to these people. He wants out. And he systematically preaches the gospel to every guard. They would go in about four-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. He systematically preached to, like, the whole Praetorian guard. Uh, maybe not all of them, but at least, like, a, a majority of them. He never stops, even in his suffering. He takes it as an opportunity to tell people about Christ. He, while he's in prison, he keeps writing to the churches. He keeps teaching. I'm sure he's teaching his visitors as they come visit him because he was a Roman citizen and he was allowed some privileges of having visitors. I'm sure that he was praying 
And that these guards see it, and the people see his faithfulness. What I'm saying is he continues to love God, and he continues to follow Christ through this whole ordeal. He perseveres. Um, but this doesn't mean it's, like, easy for Paul, right? Um, you know, he's not all smiles throughout this whole time that he's in jail. Prison sucks. Like, and believe it or not, I've not been to prison um, yet. I'm hoping that that doesn't happen, right? But, like, Paul, Paul's not going around, like, ain't prison grand like, I love being trapped here against my will and awaiting my death. This just rules. Um, like, he's not acting like that he's spending a week in the Bahamas. Right? Being in prison is probably more like taking your vacation at home in Soda County. Um, <laughs> like, this, I was thinking about this. Uh, like this place is a prison. Like, nobody gets out. It's like the Hotel California for rednecks. <laughs> right? Like, you can get out. Like, you ain't going anywhere. Like, 80-some percent or like 90 percent maybe of people that are born here die here. Like, you might move away, but we'll get you back. That's just how it goes. It's like the cycle sucks you in. Um, I have a lot of disdain for Santa County, apparently. Um, but, but like I said, of course, Paul's not enjoying this suffering at all. He's not an idiot. He's in jail. Um, and what, what's further is he says that while he's in jail, um, to add to his misery, he has jealous rivals in Rome um, that are trying to make his jail time harder uh, by possibly attempting to ruin his reputation. We're not really entirely sure what they were doing, these people who were preaching the gospel out of um, impure motives. Um, and we don't know why either. As far as scholars can tell us, they just don't like Paul for some reason. Like, we don't know, and they were actually preaching the gospel, but they don't like Paul. Like, they're trying to usurp his authority as an apostle or ruin his reputation or something like that. We're not entirely sure. Um, so they're trying to, like, emotionally hurt him. So, so here's the picture that we have of Paul's whole situation. It's hardship. He is suffering, period. He is physically limited in prison. He's trapped there against his will. Death is looming over his head. He is in chains day and night. He is in emotional turmoil from his enemies who hate him for some reason. And I'm sure Paul didn't do anything to them because Paul is a godly dude. Um, You know, he misses his brothers and sisters in Philippi and all over where he's preached, all the churches he's planted. He says, I yearn for you with the compassion of Christ. Like, I love you. I want to be there with you. Um, You know, he knows that he might die painfully. And we know history tells us he did. Um, But the kicker to all this is Paul suffers and he endures like a Christian. Um, His mentality is this is all part of God's will. It's all to his glory, and it's all to my benefit, and it's all to the advance of God's kingdom. In some way, somehow, God's going to do good through this. I don't know how, maybe, but I trust it. And, And knowing that, with that being his mentality, Paul is determined to see the gospel, to see Christ proclaimed through it all. You know? He, and he can see it. Um, you know, he sees the church doing more as they're encouraged by his boldness while he's in prison. Um, and he continues to spread the gospel himself, like I said, to the guards that are with him. And it helps him, it makes him rejoice through the suffering. Um, and he says that he will continue to rejoice through the suffering because he is trusting that God is working in this situation and that the Holy Spirit is going to give him strength to remain faithful to Christ until the end. Paul trusts in the sovereignty of God, right? So like the bottom line to this whole thing, Paul trusts God's plan. That's the bottom line of everything I just said. Paul trusts God's plan. Paul trusts God to be God, even in the midst of misery, pain, emotional turmoil, beatings, and even death, because he knows that nothing can stop God's plan. And everything, and this is, bear this in mind, everything that happens is a part of it. I know I'm being a little bit repetitive, but I want you guys to get that in your head. 
Um, because we, we, we gravely need this in our lives, instilled in our hearts for whenever suffering comes. I, I think that we have to take this concept um, that everything is part of God's plan for his glory and our benefit. We have to take this concept and run with it in everything that we experience. Um, whether it's financial burdens, like I said, I don't know, I'm being open-ended, I don't know what you're going through. If it's financial stuff, family fighting where you're not getting along, um, you know, sickness, death, stress, whatever it is. Um, we have to hold on to things like what James says here in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Right? We, we've got to know that whatever we're dealing with, that God has not thrown us to the dogs. Um, he's perfecting our faith is what he's doing. He's making us more like Christ. He's, what Paul says in Romans, conforming us to the image of his son. And James says that takes trials. Right? The, the word that he uses for trials is, is um, a Greek word that means like how you purify silver or gold. You have to burn the impurities out of it, and it's a painful process. James says that it takes that to purify our faith. Um, but from our current struggle, from that, we grow. Our faith will be made stronger. Um, we will learn something by the good, about the goodness of God by the end. Um, if we stay faithful and persevere through it. Remember that. I'm telling you guys, we have to persevere through our suffering. That's a big point of this whole thing. Right? And Paul knows these things, and he responds to this knowledge. Remember last week we talked about, Paul says that we would grow in, he, he prays that we would grow in love so that we would grow in knowledge, so that we would grow in understanding, so that we would know what to do at all times to bring God glory, right? So he knows these things, and he's going to put them into action. So there's a response to knowing the sovereignty of God. And the response that Paul had, that we should have, is to keep pursuing Christ and proclaim him in both word and action. Um, And Paul does that because he's sold out to the truths of who Jesus is and the kind of God that we serve. Right, so think about this. This is kind of cool, a little nerd fact for you. Um, I'm sorry, I just got ahead of myself. Nope, no, it's not. Not time for the nerd fact. It's coming later. Yeah, segues, baby. Um, <laughs> right, but like, like, think about this. Like, Paul, like for Paul's life right now, this is prime season in Paul's life to become bitter. Um, for everything that he's dealing with. This is prime, prime time for him to become bitter, to be angry with God, to give up and to call it a day and just walk away from the faith. He's in prison. He's, he's going to die for this. This would be the greatest time for him to do that. Um, but instead of being like that, um, Paul uses this opportunity that, that God has given him to show the world that to him Christ is life. Um, And he takes this opportunity of his present suffering to proclaim to the world that this life's troubles pale in comparison to the infinite joy of knowing and proclaiming Jesus. For Paul, that's all that matters. Like, this is insane to me. Like, his hardships don't matter to him so much, but rather every single thing in his life he's going to use to tell people about Jesus. And consider this too. Paul doesn't even complain like, am I the only one? Like, that's insane to me, right? And here's the nerd fact for you. Like, yeah, we're finally getting to that. Um, this was like the structural part in a Greek letter to talk about your personal stuff, 
This is where you would tell them, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is how I'm doing. This is what's good. This is what's bad. Um, but Paul doesn't do that. He just hits them with the raw fact. Yeah, dude, I'm in prison. Uh, but this is an awesome opportunity to tell people about the gospel. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's insane faith. That is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit for us to be able to suffer like that, that Paul could have that kind of a mindset about it. Um, and a side note, too, for you. Um, Paul, and this was huge for me. This, this, this hit me like a train. Paul isn't saying that there is opportunity to proclaim Jesus in spite of this bad circumstance. That's not what Paul's saying at all. He says this situation has actually served to advance the gospel. He says this situation has served the gospel. He's saying that the bad circumstances are actually a part of God's plan for him to proclaim Christ. God's not working in spite of it, but this was God's plan for Paul. Um, now, the face beating that I take whenever I look at a passage like this is like, how often do I, or we in this setting, how often do I endure trials and troubles and bad circumstances with the attitude that Paul did? Not too well, I'd say. Uh, at least not often for most of us. We tend to not suffer like Paul did. Like I said, we get angry with God whenever things are tough and we complain. Um, and then we tend to rebel against God in our frustration. Like, okay, you've left me to do this. Well, I'm just going to sin against you because I don't make everything better because that means you're not God. I don't know what our stupid, finite brains are thinking whenever we think rebelling against God in the midst of our anger is a good idea. Um, you know, and, and in that frustration with God, some people give up. Um, everyone, at least if you're talking to people like you should, um, everyone knows that one person who grew up a Christian had something bad happen to them, and then they just walked away from the faith because they think that God has abandoned them, and they don't want anything to do with him anymore because they think that God has just left them there. So their response is to give him the finger and just walk away. Well, fine, if he's not here for me, if he's left me to suffer by myself, then screw him. Everyone knows that guy. Um, but that's not Paul's mentality here. Um, and this tells me this. This is kind of cool. Um, this tells me that Paul has a lens that he sees life and suffering through that we either don't have or we just ignore. Um, and what I mean is Paul had a godly theology of suffering. Um, in the words of Matt Chandler, oh, if we could develop a godly theology of suffering. Um, because if we don't develop the same kind of worldview that Paul had, we're never going to make it through this life with the lasting peace that Paul had. Period. You know, and, and what I've noticed is this, Paul's lens, he had two basic premises to look at everything through. Um, and the second one builds on the first. And I've said it a lot already. One, God is in control and nothing is random ever. Right? The world may seem chaotic, our situations may seem chaotic, but God is in control and it's not actually random. Um, and the second thing is because of that, Paul's mentality is now, I will show Christ to be my everything and trust in his sovereignty in all situations, whether good or bad. That's Paul's lens to view life and suffering. Nothing is random. God is in control. And because of that, I will proclaim Christ and stay faithful. He says, I will show the world the peace that comes with intimately knowing the God who holds the world and the future, particularly my future, in his hands. That, that God has allowed this for his glory, and I will cooperate with him as much as I know how in order to show him to other people. Um, but, but I see this too. Constantly in Paul's life, um, I see that he doesn't just pay lip service to these thoughts. He lives it. Right? Like, can we be real here for a minute? How many, like, wannabe theologians are up in here? I'm the only one. All right. 
you're all liars because I could point you out right now. But we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, a lot of the times we'll say, yeah, dude, I totally am down with the sovereignty of God. Uh, and we pay lip service to the doctrine. But whenever the rubber meets the road, we don't act like that. <laughs> Why is this happening? Like, that's what we do. Like, we freak out and lose our minds because we're just paying lip service to this doctrine. But Paul doesn't. Paul actually lives it. Um, And I've said this before, and I'll say it all the time. Our theology has got to change our thinking and, therefore, our lives and actions, or it's worthless, completely worthless. Right? So with Paul's good theology, I can see in Paul's life, the first thing is he never complains about his situations. I've said it before, and I've got to say it again. That is a horrible gut check for me. Like, think about, like I said, like, like first world problems. Like, we complain that our Wi-Fi sucks and Netflix doesn't have anything good on. And in reality, Netflix has good things on there. You just like crappy movies um, most of the time. Like, if we're going to be honest. Like, Escape from Alcatraz is on there, like Serpico. Like, I've transported back to the 70s. Like, it's going down, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you don't know those movies because apparently I have taste of an old man. Um, but seriously, like, we complain about garbage stuff in our culture. Um, and in all reality, and this is painful for me to say, and I hope that it hurts you too, because we hope to wound in order to heal. Um, there should never be such a thing as a complaining Christian. Oh, doesn't it sting? Like that's some stank on it, doesn't it? <laughs> like there should be no such thing as a complaining Christian. And here's why. It's because all that complaints really are is us telling God, I don't deserve this situation. I deserve something better. That's what a complaint is at its core. But in all reality, all that we actually deserve is hell. All we actually deserve is the wrath of God on us for all of eternity. God owes us nothing but justice. We have sinned, we have committed crimes against him, and all that we actually deserve is to suffer for them eternally. And yet, because God is love and mercy and the definition of grace, he gives us Jesus to go to the cross as a substitute for us and suffer his wrath in our place. And then by his resurrection, we get eternal life through our faith in Jesus. That's insanely gracious of him. That is insane. That is incredible. Like, we don't deserve to be healthy or wealthy or happy. We deserve to die. That's it. So how dare we complain to God about anything, even in the worst of times in our lives? He has bestowed nothing but grace upon grace to us. Who do we think we are? That's the real question whenever we complain. Who do I think that I am? I am a worm. But instead of complaining, now that I got to be the angry Baptist for a couple of minutes, um, Paul, instead of complaining, he just goes with it, right? And he suffers like Jesus, like with full trust that God will be good, like he says he is, like Christ goes to the cross without complaint ever, saying, God, I trust you that you're going to raise me from the dead and you're going to vindicate me. And that's how Paul suffers, because that's what it means to actually have faith, like even though we can't see how God is good or how this will bring him glory, we will trust in the fact that he knows what he's doing because that's what faith is. Faith is trust and a promise. Right? And, and we all know this. It's kind of a cliche. When life is easy, faith is easy. 
It is. It's not hard to trust God whenever everything's going good and you have a lot of money and no one's fighting and everyone's healthy in your family and all that crap. Like, but hardships build trust. For example, I'm going to tell a fake story. If my car, like my car broke down in Columbus and I call Steve at two in the morning and Steve comes and helps me out, fixes my flat, whatever. I'm not a man. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. Um, And Steve hooks me up. If I didn't know I could trust Steve before, I know that I can trust Steve now. I know that he's going to be there for me. That's a lie. That's not a real story, but like whatever. Like, but hardships build trust. Um, and God wants us to trust him with everything. So we're going to have to deal with some hardships. Um, but the second thing that I see in Paul's life is this. Um, he continues to daily live in holiness and obedience to God. Um, he never, ever stops following Jesus. Like I said earlier, he he keeps preaching the gospel to everyone around him, even in spite of the pain, telling them of the goodness of God and salvation through Jesus. I'm sure he keeps fighting sin. He keeps praying for people. He keeps studying scripture in spite of all this so that people around him can see Christ in him. Um, Not that he's ignoring the pain. That's stupid. It's stupid to think. Or, Or not that he's immune to the pain either. But rather he's pushing through it because he can see the bigger picture. Um, and I think he does this to show everyone around him that Jesus is still his reason for life, for living. Um, and not the things or the happiness or even the comfort of this world. He says that Christ is my reason for existence. And that has to become our attitude whenever life sucks. God is sovereign. I will trust him. I will persevere by his grace. You know, we keep our eyes on Christ and push toward the goal of seeing him either in death or at his return. And and when we do this, whenever we live like that, and that becomes our pulse, even in the the midst of trial, um, we we sometimes get to see a glimpse. Sometimes, because I'm not going to be foolish enough to make a blanket statement here, because sometimes you don't get to see any of it. You just got to suffer through it and have faith. But sometimes you get to see a glimpse of how God is using our suffering to his glory. Um, the first thing Paul saw, Paul sees that Christ and the gospel are being proclaimed to non-believers. In verse 13, he says, this is served to advance the gospel. Like I've preached to the Praetorian Guard, and, and believers are being emboldened and preaching fearlessly. Um, you know, like these people around Paul were witnessing firsthand the security that comes with being reconciled to God by Christ. And we're going to get into that in a, in a little bit too. Um, this, this tells me that the way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves in the middle of hardships, um, not just our words, although our words are incredibly important and you should be verbally telling people about Christ, but our actions, how we endure, how we suffer, is a witness to the power of the gospel. Don't forget that. When we suffer well, it is a witness to who Christ is and our trust in him. But the second thing that Paul also saw was that other believers are being emboldened. Like I said, they were preaching more. They're doing it fearlessly. Um, the ESV, I think, is a better translation. He says, they were becoming more confident in the Lord. And when I think of that, they're becoming more confident in the, in the sovereignty of God in these situations. That they were actually being encouraged by Paul's example of godly suffering, and they began to fearlessly pro- proclaim Christ more in their lives and in their words. Um, and I think that often with the like, emboldening other believers, I think that often... Uh, maybe not always, but often God will use our present hardships to the building up of other believers um, in order to show them that God is indeed in control. And again, everything is to his glory. Um, 
so that those of us who get to witness someone suffering like a Christian, that we are pushed on by what we have witnessed with our own eyes to persevere. That God saw them through this, he'll see me through this. Um, for example, just a couple of things I was thinking about. Uh, my mom is in the back, and she's a saint. Uh, if you didn't know that, she dealt with me and continues to deal with me for 23 years. Um, I was an atheist for a while. You guys know that. Um, and that was really hard on my mother because she, she was a Christian. And uh, I hated her. I hated, I hated Christ. I hated Christians. I would, I would cuss her and tell her how stupid she was for believing in all this stuff. And she suffered through that and continued to talk with me, continued to pray for me, continued to have other people pray for me. And now that she has made it through that, I see people going to my mom all the time saying, you know, someone in my, like, my child's not a Christian. How do I deal with this? How do I talk to them? Or my kid's an atheist. What should I do? And through my mother's suffering and the fact that she stayed steadfast and faithful to Christ through this and suffered like a Christian and never gave up, she gets to help other people. Um, other people are emboldened by what she's had to go through because God kept her through it. Um, or another example, a little bit uh, darker. Um, good friend of mine, Storm Bratchett, died whenever he was a senior in high school. Um, it was a horrible accident. And uh, Lynn, Lynn has had, his mother, Lynn Bratchett, has had opportunities um, to talk to people about how to cope with the fact that she's lost her son, um, that her faith is in Christ and that she will see him someday. And she gets to help people um, that are dealing with losing children or people that are dealing with losing people in their family because she has experienced this firsthand. So God will take our present suffering. Sometimes we get to see a glimpse of that in the fact that we're able to embolden other people by our faith and help them to become more confident in the Lord. Um, but again, we, we endure adversity to the glory of God when we keep the faith. Non-believers see the truth, and that's a powerful witness, and believers are edified and encouraged. Um, but the kicker to those, like, like, how does Paul keep this resolve? Right? Like, how does he rejoice in suffering? Like, is he like a super Christian, right? Walking around with like a cross on his chest, um, which I don't even know if that was a symbol back then. Um, whatever. Um, but like, where does Paul get this? Like, is he like, is he like extraordinarily saved? <laughs> right? Like, what's going on with Paul? Um, if we check out verse 19 again in this passage, um, we're going to see where Paul's hope is rooted. He says, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Right? His eyes are not set on the here and now, uh, but they're on what God promises in the future. Um, he knows that this life is not the end all of everything. He knows that there is something greater to come after this. He says he knows that he will be delivered. He says this will lead to my deliverance. And we're not talking about the movie. The movie's gross. Like, can we get, like, for real? Like, you're never going to want to go to West Virginia again. If you want, like in reality, like who wanted to go to West Virginia in the first place? Um, whatever, West by God, Virginia. Uh, but <laughs> deliverance, right? What he means there is his salvation. Like we can't be foolish here and say that with Paul's deliverance that he meant a physical rescue. Um, he says, we're going to see in a, in a, within the next couple of weeks, Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He's not talking about, I will be physically delivered from prison and I will live. That's not what he means. He means that his endurance and his joy is rooted in the gospel. That Christ has paid for my sin and nothing can take that from me. That I was once separated from God and had damnation looming over my head for eternity. And God has reconciled me to himself by his son's substitutionary death in my place for my sin. I've been reconciled to God. Christ has paid for my sin, and nothing can take that from me. 
My worries are over. I am safe in the arms of a loving God who has saved me and will keep me. That's what Paul's hope is in. He says, my situation may change, but this fact is constant and it is unwavering. And in that I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. That's where Paul's hope is in. That's what his confidence is in. And for Christians, we have no true eternal problems. Everything for us is temporary because it's confined to this life. And because it's temporary, it can be endured with joy and patience and perseverance. God has taken care of the problem. He has taken care of sin. Everything else is genuinely minor. It is truly minor. And I know it doesn't always feel that way. But that's the truth. That is the truth. Everything is minor. The problem has been taken care of if we are in Christ, if we have faith in Jesus. Knowing that is the key to peace. Period. I want to read this, guys, to you. It's it's a little bit lengthy, but I want you guys to know this. This is very pertinent. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, Paul says this. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even even, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he had promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something We don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows that what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. When everything is going wrong, we can look forward to the day that we will meet Jesus and that he will fix everything. We wait with anticipation. Along with us, all of creation groans in anticipation for that day. That's what keeps our peace intact. That is our source of joy. This is our hope. That is the promise of the gospel, that one day it will be better. And that is not wishful optimism. That is the very word of God given to us. That is his promise. So we hang tight and we proclaim Christ in our lives, in our actions, in our words. And we don't put our hope in here and today. We put our hope in the end. We remember that our hope is not in this life and in these circumstances and in this present suffering. 
But to quote the song, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ is our anchor. Our reconciliation to God the Father by him is our peace. So things might suck in this life, but this life is not the end or even the point of our existence. We are going to spend infinitely more time not suffering than what we're going through right now. God uses suffering for his purposes. And even the worst enemy, death, in the hands of a sovereign God, becomes merely a vehicle that takes us to be home with our Lord and King Jesus. That is the sovereign God that we serve. That is a God that we can trust. The one who saves us. The one who used something as awful as the murder of his son to bring us salvation. And that was his good plan all along for the son. If our God used that awful suffering of Christ to bring about the greatest glory in all of history, then we can trust him in our suffering, period. That's the truth. Our God is king, and he reigns, and he controls, and we are eternally safe from all true danger in him. We can bank our earthly struggles and lives on that. Hold that in your storm. Hold that with whatever you're going through. In your darkest hour, know that God works all things to his glory and our benefit according to his plan and purposes. Trust that. Put your rest in that and live that. Let's pray. Father, you are are better to us than we deserve. You've given us Christ and all we deserve is, is death and damnation. God, help us, to, help us to understand your sovereignty better and, and entrust it and not just pay lip service to, oh, well, God, um, God's in control, but I'm going to freak out. Help us to actually trust in the fact that you are in control. Let that bleed over into everything that we do, that we wouldn't be frustrated, that we wouldn't lose our tempers, um, that we wouldn't become irritable because we know that everything is part of your plan. Um, Father, help that just to be our pulse so that we would continue to worship through the pain, that we would continue to tell people about your goodness through the pain because we trust you and we're not going to waver because you're not wavering. Help us to, to put that into action, Father. But above all things, thank you for sending Christ to die in our place for our sins so that we could come to you like this. All, all praise, all glory, and all honor belong to you, Jesus. Amen.